0: Passion for God and compassion for our neighbor, reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church, and now here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. Well, at Christmas time, we oftentimes like to remember a lot of the things that go with the Savior's birth. We like to talk about shepherds, wise men. We talk about uh, Bethlehem and, of course, Gabriel's visit, visit to Zechariah and to Mary. Those are all well and, and good things, but this morning I'd like to look at something a little different as we think about Christ's birth and what happened at, at Christmas. Um, where was Jesus Christ, do you think, before the manger? What do you think our Savior was doing before he was born in Bethlehem? Did he just all of a sudden appear? Now, we have potential existence before we're born. But the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ had actual existence long before he was born. Take out your notes and follow along with me this morning as we we go through this study. Micah chapter five, verse two says this, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. And that's one of the classic Christmas passages. But most people don't realize when it says this little phrase, whose origins are from of old, in Hebrew, that literally means from eternity past. In other words, Jesus existed long before he arrived on the scene in Bethlehem. He existed in eternity. But what was he doing? What was Christ doing before Bethlehem? This morning, I'd like to do something a little different. Typically, what you do in a sermon is you look through text, and at the end, you draw the points together and give the conclusion. I'm going to reverse that order. I'm going to propose for you an answer of what Jesus Christ was doing before Bethlehem, before he was born. And like a lawyer, I'm going to lay lines of evidence before you to support my claim. But I want you, you to be the judge, you to be the jury. And at the end of the sermon, you decide if I'm right or not. You decide if you agree with me what Christ was doing before Bethlehem. You ready for the answer? Yes. Okay. John's awake in the front row. Okay. Here you go. The answer is this. When you go to the Old Testament, anytime you see a reference to the angel of the Lord, that is actually referring to Jesus Christ before he took on human flesh in Bethlehem. Now I know that's a a big claim, but let me just uh, try and clarify a few things. I didn't say An angel of the Lord. I said a reference to the angel of the Lord. Uh, Something else to help you a little bit. Just to give you a little mini Hebrew lesson. uh, In Hebrew, the word angel doesn't necessarily mean a created being. Angel literally means messenger. That's what it means. Now that messenger could be a created spiritual being. Or as we're going to see this morning. It could be Jesus Christ, God himself, the angel of the Lord. So let me go ahead and we're going to start laying some evidence before you and let you draw the conclusion to see if I'm right or not. So on the top of your notes, let's look at this. The first thing we learn is the angel of the Lord actually claims to be God. So we go to the Old Testament, we start tracing our finger through the text, and we find that the angel of the Lord is no typical ordinary angel. This angel claims to be God. And one of the best examples of this is actually the story of Moses when he uh, was at the burning bush. Let me read you the text in Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. But we keep reading. Look how the angel of the Lord that's in the burning bush identifies himself. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals sandals off your feet for the place on which you stand is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at god the angel of the lord just claimed to be god now we keep reading and we're going to find what happens is not only does the angel of the lord claim to be god but when moses talks to him he addresses him as god Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 through 14. Then Moses said to God, who is the angel of the Lord, in the burning bush, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name, what shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. Now, in our English translation, it's a little bit cloaked. When you see, I am, that literally in Hebrew means Yahweh. It's like God's special, personal name. The angel of the Lord just claimed to be Yahweh. Say, I am has sent you. You cannot get a stronger claim to divinity than this. So the angel of the Lord claims to be God. Now, another example of this, for instance, you go back a few chapters. Go to Genesis 22. Let's move from Moses. Let's go back to Abraham. In Genesis 22, what we find is Abraham was being told to go sacrifice his son Isaac on Mount Moriah. Do you remember this story? But look who tells him to sacrifice his son. And look who's involved in stopping that sacrifice. He, that is God, said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham follows God's instructions. He takes his son. He goes up Mount Moriah. He binds his son. He puts him on the altar because God has told him to do this. And then look who shows up. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God seeing you've not withheld your son, your only son from me. Now it's, Start to piece these pieces together. Abraham is to sacrifice his son to God, but the angel of the Lord tells him to stop. And then he says, but you've not withheld your son from God, from me. The angel of the Lord, once again, claims to be God. Now, we could do this for a long time, because a number of times throughout the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord claims to be God. But I'll just give you two at this point, just to help you uh, understand that. Now, if you go a little further, we find this. The angel of the Lord has the very attributes of deity. In the story about Abraham, when he sent out um, Hagar and Ishmael, So there wouldn't be a rival to his son Isaac. And Hagar is in the wilderness. And she is about ready to die of thirst with her son. Look what the scriptures tell us. And God heard the voice of the boy. And then who shows up? And the angel of God, or the angel of the Lord, called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not. For God has heard the voice of the boy where he is up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand and I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. Now, not only does the angel of the Lord here claim to be God, but the angel of the Lord does things that only God can do. He says, I'm going to make Ishmael into a great nation. If you're going to do that, well, you have to be omniscient and know the future and omnipotent and be able to control the future. Can your garden variety angel know the future and control the future? Absolutely not. Those are qualities that only God himself holds. So this is no ordinary angel, the angel of the Lord. This angel is God. But then it gets interesting. The third line I'd like to show you is this. The angel of the Lord actually is different from God. That's a little misleading of an answer, but let me show you the text. These two passages come out of Zechariah. Read them closely. Then the angel of the Lord said, O Lord of hosts, how long will you have no mercy on Jerusalem and the cities of Judah against which you have been angry these 70 years? Now notice what's happening. The angel of the Lord, who we've seen is God, is now talking to another person called O Lord of hosts, who also is God, and saying, how long will you be angry at the people of Jerusalem and the people of the area of Judah? So you have the angel of the Lord, who claims to be God, talking to God. Does God have a split personality disorder? Or is this some evidence of the Trinity, where you have the Son of God talking to God the Father? You see how this comes right in here? You see how we're starting to come to the conclusion the angel of the Lord actually is Jesus? We go a little further in Zechariah. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. And Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not, is not this a brand plucked from the fire? If you read this closely, we have the same thing going on. We have a Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, being, having Satan accusing him at his right side, and the Lord, that's the angel of the Lord, says to Satan, the Lord rebuke you. Well, what's the other Lord that's going to rebuke him? The son, the angel of the Lord, just said to Satan, may God the Father rebuke you. You see there's two lords in here? Two gods? Now, now we get to the stuff that I'm pretty excited about. This is the really cool stuff. If you're questioning how Jesus Christ and the angel of the Lord go together, this should remove at least... As a lawyer presenting the evidence to the judge and jury, this should remove all shadow of doubt. Jesus is the one who saved Israel out of Egypt. Did you know that? Jesus in the Old Testament is the one who did that. In fact, let's look what it says in Jude chapter 5. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus... Who saved a people out of Egypt afterwards destroyed those who did not believe. It was Jesus, Jude says, that led the ancient Israelites out of Egypt. But Jesus' name is not used in the Old Testament. Whose name is used to, describe, to lead the Israelites out of Egypt? The angel of the Lord. Let me show you. This is going to get real exciting. And I think for some of you, all of a sudden, your Old Testament is just going to take on living color right now. Exodus chapter 14, 19 through 20. Then the angel of God, or could be translated, the angel of the Lord, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night." Now, if you remember this story, Israel was coming out of Egypt and they came to the Red Sea and the Egyptians had decided they're not going to let them go. So the Egyptian army was chasing them down, but in the text, it was the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night that was leading them out of Egypt And that cloud and pillar of fire turned around and went from before them to behind them to create a wall between them and the Egyptian army. And then they walked across the Red Sea on dry ground. But remember, Jude said, it was Jesus who saved Israel out of Egypt. Here it says it was the angel of the Lord who was in the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. Not just at this moment, but the cloud and the pillar of fire led Egypt continually, or excuse me, led Israel continually through the wilderness all the way to the promised land. That was pre-incarnate Jesus leading Israel out of Egypt. Are you beginning to see Jesus show up in the Old Testament? Are all of a sudden things starting to come together for you? That it's the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament? In the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire? Who is leading Israel to the promised land? But that's Jesus. Let me give you another one. Exodus 23, 20 through 21. It says, Behold, I will send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. An angel is leading them to the promised land. Uh, Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. Hmm. Special angel, isn't it? Not a garden variety angel, but an angel has the very name of God in him. Do you see Jesus before the manger? Let's go back to the New Testament and see another connection between the testaments on this issue. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 1 through 6. For you don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. And then Paul says, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as an example for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Paul is referring to the Old Testament Israelites as they went to the promised land. And as you know, on that trip, God provided for them manna from heaven and actually, God provided water out of a rock. And he did that twice for them. First time he did that was at the beginning of their trip, in Exodus chapter 17. The second time he did that was at the end of their trip, on Numbers chapter, in Numbers chapter 20. And what Paul says, he says, this rock followed them through the wilderness, and this rock was actually Christ. Now, you have to understand, Paul is speaking metaphorically here. There is not this big rock that just sort of rolled through the desert following them. What he's talking about is how God provided for their needs. When there was no water, Christ provided water out of a rock, In other words, Christ is the one, as they were on their way to the promised land, who supplied what they need to make it, in particular, the water. And then we expand it out. When Israel rebelled, remember how they rebelled against the manna? Manna, we don't like it. Manna bread, banana bread, manna banana bread every day, breakfast, lunch, noon. We're tired of manna. Remember they rebelled against the manna? Who do you think was ultimately the one providing the manna? And who do you think they were actually rebelling against? Let's look what it says. Numbers 21, 4 through 6. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water. And we loathe this worthless food. We don't like manna anymore. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. Go to the New Testament. What does Paul say about this? 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Who's showing up in the Old Testament? Who is providing for their needs? Jesus. He was taking them there. Now, what you find is not only is, is, is the angel of the Lord uh, or Jesus the one who led the people out of Egypt into the promised land, but the angel of the Lord and Jesus function in the Bible in almost parallel ways. In other words, the angel of the Lord functions a certain way in the Old Testament and Jesus functions in an almost identical way in the New Testament. Maybe that's because they're actually one and the same. Except in the New Testament, the angel of the Lord is taken on flesh. Let me show you what I mean. The angel of the Lord functioned like Christ. First point, the angel of the Lord and Jesus both reveal God to men. Now, uh, God the Father... We do know in the scriptures that His voice is heard from heaven. That is in there. Uh, God, God, the Holy Spirit. We know that He did appear in the form of a dove at Christ's baptism, and like tongues of fire on the apostles in the day of Pentecost. But there's not too much showing up other than that for those two guys, for the Father and the Spirit. But the Son, that's different. Look what it says in John chapter 1, verse 14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We've seen Jesus. Or Colossians 2.19. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, or dwells bodily. Now, I'm going to make a proposition here. This may rock some of you, but just go with me and we'll keep the study going and you'll see why I'm saying it. It seems reasonable to conclude that Christ is the visible manifestation of God, not just in the New Testament, but also in the Old Testament. The visible manifestations of God are the angel of the Lord, which is Christ before Bethlehem. Now the Bible appears to confirm this. And I said there are some ones that are a little bit on the edge here, but the Bible does appear to walk in this line. Let me show you what it says, the Bible, about God the Father. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 16. It says, Who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Has anybody seen the Father? It says no, you can't see him. Or 1 John, uh, chapter, or John chapter 1, verse 18. No one has ever seen God, referring to God the Father. But the only God who is at the Father's side, referring to God the Son, has made him known. No one has ever seen God the Father, but God the Son is how the Father has been made known. Or John chapter 5, verse 37. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, he says to them. The idea is that nobody has seen God the Father, but we have seen God the Son not just in the New Testament but in the Old Testament he is the visible manifestations of God in the Old Testament just before he took on a body now what about the Holy Spirit this is what the scripture says even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you The Holy Spirit typically does not visibly manifest himself. The way the Holy Spirit manifests himself is he dwells within us, and he changes us from the inside out. You want to see the Holy Spirit? You recognize it in people who have changed lives. They've been born again. So if the Father is unseeable, the Holy Spirit is recognized typically by changed lives, Who's left to be the visible manifestation of God? Jesus Christ in the New Testament, the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, who are actually one and the same thing. Another example of how they run parallel, the angel of the Lord and Jesus. The angel of the Lord and Jesus provide comfort and provision for God's people. In fact, in the Old Testament, it was the angel of the Lord who comforted Elijah, do you remember the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal? You think you have a tough day? He had a tough day. The guy has like post-traumatic stress disorder after his day of dealing with the prophets of Baal. He goes to the sun, gets away. He's like just totally burned out. And look who shows up to help him. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. The angel of the Lord... Had compassion on him, provided comfort for him, and provided food for him so he could make a journey. When the Israelites came out of Egypt, what did the angel of the Lord do? Compassion on them, comfort for them, and provided the food for their journey. You see a little parallel there? Now, what happens when we get to the New Testament? Is Jesus doing those same things? It says this in uh, Matthew 11, 28, come to me all you are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Jesus is having compassion. Or Matthew uh, 14, verse 14, and he went ashore and saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. I'm not going to read Mark chapter eight, but you remember the feeding of the (laughs) 5,000? What did Jesus provide so they wouldn't become weary? The loaves and the fishes, the food they needed for their journey, which is the same thing he did for Elijah, which is the same thing he did for ancient Israel. Are you seeing the parallels here? One more on these uh, parallels. The angel of the Lord and Jesus judge people. First Chronicles twenty one sixteen 16. And David lifted his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord standing between earth and heaven. And in his hand, a sword, a drawn sword, stretched out over Jerusalem. And then David and the elders, clothed in sackcloth, fell on their faces. What's going on in this context? David has decided to number his army. He's doing a census. And why is he doing this? What's going on is he's starting to find the strength and the size of his army, <laughs> Rather than the size of the God who is behind the army. Because that's where the real strength comes from. And so God, in in judgment, it's actually the angel of the Lord who is bringing the judgment, says, we're going to put a plague on you. And that really reduces the size of your army, doesn't it? No more bragging, you have so many soldiers. And David sees the angel of the Lord, ready to execute judgment on Jerusalem. And he steps in and says, no, please bring judgment, not on the people, bring it on me. And I don't want to get into the theology of the text other than to point this out. It was the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament who was executing judgment on God's people. It was the same angel of the Lord that executed judgment on the people of Israel when they came out of Egypt and didn't let them go into Egypt. Remember that? So Jesus in the Old Testament is judging people. And Jesus in the, Old, in the New Testament, is he doing the same thing? Look at the text. John chapter 5 verse 22 The Father judges no one but has given all judgment to the Son. Acts chapter 10 verse 42 And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he that is Jesus is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. You see how they run in parallel? Same functions. Another line of evidence that I think is extremely compelling. Once you realize, you start looking at the angel of the Lord in the, in the Old Testament, he is extremely busy. He is consistently involved in interacting with people. But as soon as you get to the, the New Testament, the angel of the Lord that was busy in the Old Testament disappears. But Jesus is there. And Jesus is functioning in the same capacity, doing the same things. That's because they're one and the same. Now, let me give you one more line of reason before we start to wrap this up and draw some great conclusions out of this. Many people in the modern church do not understand that the angel of the Lord is Jesus in the Old Testament. It's just not typically taught. But what about the ancient church? Did they think the angel of the Lord was Jesus? Or is this some kind of newfangled thing? you need to understand, the early church clearly believed the angel of the Lord was Christ before the manger. Let me give you some examples, uh, some writings. Irenaeus, who died in the year 200, this is what he said. That Christ was often seen by Moses. That it was Christ who was the one at the burning bush. It was Christ who talked to Adam. Christ who talked to Noah, Abraham, and Jacob as the angel of the Lord. Justin Martyr, who died in the year 166, also said it was Christ in the Old Testament as the angel of the Lord. Christ who spoke from the burning bush. Who spoke to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And there's many, many others in the list of the early church fathers who made this claim. Clement of Alexandria, who died in the year 220. Origen, who died in the year 254. Uh, Theophilus of Antioch, who died in the year 181. Cyprian, Hilary, and I could go on. But the most famous quote of all in this regard is Tertullian. He died in the year um, 220. Let me read for you what he wrote about this. It is the Son, therefore, who has been from the beginning administering judgment, throwing down the haughty tower and dividing the tongues. It was Jesus who did the Tower of Babel incident, punishing the whole world by the violence of the waters. It was Jesus who's responsible for Noah and the flood, raining, down, raining upon Sodom and Gomorrah fire and brimstone as the Lord from the Lord. For he is who was at all times come down to hold converse with men from Adam onto the patriarchs and the prophets in visions and dreams and mirror in dark sayings. Apparently Jesus was pretty busy before Bethlehem, wasn't he? What do you think? Is the angel of the Lord Christ before the manger? I think the conclusions are pretty clear. Now, the big question is this. Why did the angel of the Lord, the Lord from the Lord, as Tertullian said, take on flesh in Mary's womb? Why did he change that way? What was God the Father up to when he created this plan? Here's the answer. Why did the angel of the Lord take on a body in Jesus? Number one, the angel of the Lord couldn't save us until he became one of us. In the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord was very busy saving God's people, wasn't he? Saving Abraham by bringing him out of Ur to the promised land. Saving ancient Israel by bringing them out of Egypt. The angel of the Lord was always busy saving God's people. But here's the thing. Even though uh, the angel of the Lord could save his people from a tyrant like the Pharaoh in ancient Egypt, he couldn't save God's people from the real enemy, which is Satan, sin, and death. Until he took on a body. Because when he took on a body, then he had the ability to die in our place. For our sins. As the scriptures say, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. The reason the angel of the Lord took on flesh and was born as Jesus is to save us. To save us from the ultimate enemy against us. Satan, sin, and death. Thank goodness he took on a body, right? Thank goodness we celebrate Christ taking on flesh today and tomorrow. But it gets even better. The angel of the Lord could not bless us with all of God's blessings unless he became one of us. Did you ever wish you could be an angel? If you could be an angel, you could go any place you want at light speed. Travel gets easy. If you would be an angel, you'd have all kinds of glory, brilliance, and power. But I'll tell you one thing. I don't care how glorious the angel is. I would not want to be one. If I, I would still want to be a human being. And here's why. Because Jesus Christ took on flesh so he could die in our place For our sins, and the scriptures say that when he rose from the dead, God the Father gave him the most highly exalted position in the entire universe. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess Jesus Christ as Lord. Understand, everything is bowing to Jesus in his resurrected flesh and blood body. And here's the cool part. Because we're as adopted brothers and sisters through our faith, guess who now becomes the most blessed beings in the entire universe? With Christ and under Christ. That's right, Tom. It's us. Right now, we're below the angels. But for all of eternity, we will be a. Of the angels. In fact, the scripture even says that we will participate in the very judgment of the angels. For all of eternity, the angels will say, I wish I was like them. I wish I had flesh and blood. So I'd be identified with Christ and I'd be under Christ and I too would have been the most blessed beings in the entire universe. Folks, if Jesus hadn't, or if the angel of the Lord hadn't become Jesus and taken on flesh, we couldn't be blessed like that. So thank goodness he did. The last thing I want to mention to you is this. What I want you to see today is there is great continuity between the Testaments, isn't there? Between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Jesus does not suddenly show up in the manger. Jesus, as the angel of the Lord, was completely active and involved. In fact, Hebrews chapter 1 and John chapter 1 tell us that it was Jesus who created the entire universe. Colossians chapter 2 verse 17 tell us it's Jesus who every day sustains the entire universe. Jesus, as the angel of the Lord, was busy saving God's people in the Old Testament And then he took on flesh to save us in a way we could never be saved before from our ultimate enemy, Satan, sin, and death. That's what happened when he came in Bethlehem. Now tonight, when we come back for our five o'clock service, I'm going to tell you three more things that changed when the angel of the Lord took on flesh and became one of us. Three more ways that we are blessed beyond our wildest dreams because of Christmas, because Jesus took on flesh. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for having such a wonderful son who willingly submitted himself to your will to take on flesh to die for us. Jesus, thank you for opening up your word to us that we would see that you've been actively involved in this creation and actively involved in the Old Testament, not just in the New Testament. Thank you for showing us in your word that there is continuity between the Testaments. And thank you, Jesus, especially for coming to save us from our ultimate enemy and coming to bless us beyond our wildest dreams. All of this is possible because you took on flesh. And all God's people said, amen. amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us. And may God continue to enrich your life.